hoping this is the audio level. Welcome back to Twin Peaks Talk, your weekly recap show of a David Lynch show that aired years ago. My name is Chris. I'm from the Cult Film Companion Podcast. And before I introduce my exquisite co-host, I just want to get a couple little bit of uh, business things out of the way. The uh, Cult Film Companion Podcast and Twin Peaks Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Cult Film Comp. We are also a member of the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out podcasts and video casts from all around the world. And also we are available on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Stop scrolling, start listening, download and use Newsly for free today. And please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film, drop the I, pop in a one and get a month free of their premium service, courtesy of us. And now I would like to formally introduce my co-host for this series, Dr. Sean Travers, who I failed to mention, now has a book published and available that I urge you all to check out. It's called Trauma and American Pop Culture and Cult Texts, 1980-2020. to so please follow Dr. Sean Travers on Twitter, and her pinned tweet tells you all about the book and where you can find it. Dr. Travers, how are you doing today? I'm good, uh, thank you. I uh, really enjoyed this episode of Twin Peaks. The series is certainly going strong. Absolutely, yes. I really enjoyed this episode, too. And Before we get into it, I'm just going to read off a little bit of production trivia. This episode is episode one also known as Traces to Nowhere. It is the second episode of Twin Peaks' first season, and it aired on ABC April 12th, 1990. It was written by series creators Mark Frost and David Lynch. So it's a fun continuation that we started from from last week. And this is the first instance where, well, this is the first of many instances where we're going to have somebody else directing the episode and this episode was helmed by Dwayne Dunham or just Dwayne Dunham who had previously served as the editor on David Lynch's Blue Velvet and uh, Lynch had wanted uh, Dunham to edit Wild at Heart which he was working on at the same time. Dunham had uh, already had obligations and I guess kind of as a as a thank you for his work and uh, as a maybe kind of, uh, well, if you can't edit Wild at Heart, you know, why don't you take your uh, take a shot at directing? And so he's he's at the helm here. And episode one picks up right where the pilot episode left off. Dr. Travers, initial thoughts on uh, this episode? I think it contains the scariest shot in all of the Twin Peaks franchise. And that's a controversial opinion because the scariest scene is usually considered to be the one where Bob crawls over the couch and looks into the camera. But I think the shot of Bob that we get in this episode is the scariest shot in the whole franchise. Right. And that that shot is um, Donna is comforting uh, Mrs. Palmer. And um, initially, Mrs. Palmer kind of has this uh, hallucination of um, 
Donna's face morphing into uh, Laura Palmer's face. And then we just get this. It's a very quick shot. You could actually blink yeah. and miss it. But just this very ominous shot of Bob crouched down at the foot. I'm, I think it's at the foot of the bed, if I'm not mistaken. Or yeah. is it behind the couch? Yeah, it is. And he's looking through those bars like a jail cell. So you know that he's up to some kind of criminal activity here. He's not doing good things in the scene. No, it's, um, yeah, it's a very, um, it, it is, I, I, I think that, you you know, it is a controversial thing to say that um, it's the scariest shot in the series. This, this episode, yeah. once again, just carries on all these um, interesting little tropes of, um, of noir, uh, Lynchian kind of absurdness, and soap opera angles. Yeah, this scene goes straight into the horror, and we have like the, the final girl screams of Sarah Palmer as well. Yes. Um, and, and then it just goes back to being like a soap opera detective noir. Well, just for that one scene, we get a horror movie. Well, the, I was going to say, there's some very... Uh, th- this series is so good at juxtaposing some very quirky uh, comedic elements and then going into something utterly horrific. Uh, But before we delve um, any deeper into this episode, I thought it would be interesting because not everyone has access to this. So I'm just going to briefly read what um, uh, the the, um, Twin Peaks was typically at least for season one i'm not i'm not too sure about season two and it certainly didn't carry through to um the third season but is introduced by the log lady so i'm just going to briefly uh read what she says about introducing us here into um episode one and i also did want to note that while um they're typically just labeled as episode they also had um Titles. So the title for this episode was also uh, known as Traces to Nowhere. And it starts out with the log lady sitting in a rocking chair holding her log. And this is this is how she greets us for this episode. I carry a log. Yes. Is it funny to you? It is not to me. Behind all things are reasons. Reasons can even explain the absurd. Do we have the time to learn the reasons behind human beings' varied behavior? I think not. Some take the time. Are they called detectives? Watch and see what life teaches. And we kind of get this very stark picture of her and it fades. And then we get the, the lovely intro to Twin Peaks. And I, I think that it just... It, it kind of, it, it really, these little log lady intros kind of really set the tone because oh. you, you're sitting there with this lady that looks like she should be teaching um, like middle school English or something and she's carrying this log that she talks to. Yeah, she kind of just calls you out on it because yes, you, you see a lady sitting there with a log and of course you're going to think it's absurd. You know, she says, not to me, it's not absurd to me. So that's just a little interesting way to glimpse into this episode. And then we, we carry right into some absurdness. We're, we're greeted with Agent Cooper talking to um, his assistant, Diane. And uh, Diane will remain an off-screen character until the return in, in season three. Mm. But we get him 
hanging upside down. <laughs> this very weird contraption. Yeah, um, yeah we know he's not going to take the conventional approach to uh, to being a detective. Already we're introduced to him and he's upside down. He's not right side up. So we know he's going to do something different. I think that's an indication of that in a in a cinematic way, in, in a thematic way, we see him hanging upside down. And then, yes, he's not going to take the, that approach. And then we're also given a line of dialogue when he's talking to the sheriff, where the sheriff says he's starting to feel like Dr. Watson, you know, insinuating that yeah. that Agent Cooper is some sort of Sherlock Holmes-esque character. So this this episode, it doesn't actually carry through with all that much plot. But what it does that I really like is that uh, we're introduced to several new characters. We're actually, we don't actually see them, but we, we hear introductions to several characters that are going to become prominent throughout the series, namely Albert. Uh, we don't see yeah. Albert yet, who is portrayed by the, the fantastic Miguel Ferreira, who um, unfortunately is no longer with us, one of, uh, one of my favorite character actors. And Albert is one of my favorite characters in the series. So we just got it off. We, we don't see Albert yet, but we get a nice conversation with him. And then we're also introduced to the Bookhouse Boys. Because in custody, when with this, the episode starts, we have Bobby, Snake, also known as Mike, and who am I forgetting? All three of them are in jail. Who am I forgetting? Yeah. James. Yes, James. Yeah, James is in it. Yes, and it's um, just oh, the Bookhouse Boys. I'm I'm gonna look this up. Who's in the Bookhouse Boys? Because I know that because um Ed because he says that um because now that everyone finds uh, now that um Snake and Bobby find out that um James has been seeing Laura, it's um you know they make several references to offing him to killing him. And when James is released after being interrogated, I love the um, the interrogation scenes here are great with Cooper, Agent Cooper talking to uh, James and then releasing him, finding out that, you know, his suspicions are confirmed that James truly loved Laura and James Mm -hmm. wouldn't have done anything to hurt her. Then talking to uh, Bobby and Snake, he just lets them go because... I think he kind of realizes that these two uh, goofballs <laughs> would not be involved in something. They might be uh, degenerates, but they're probably not involved in torture and murder. So they're all released. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, J- James makes reference because uh, Ed, his uncle, says uh, um, he's going to need someone to watch his back. And this is something that I didn't notice first time around. I did notice this time that Hawk... They have this little thing where they kind of put a finger to their nose, not up their nose. They're not picking their nose. It's like a little finger on the nose kind of thing to in, to to um. It's kind of like a signal that they're they're all part of the bookhouse boys, and these are kind of. Um, it's funny. Laura does that in the Black Lodge when um, she's telling Cooper what happened in the following episodes, but it could also double as a reference to that she was on cocaine. That's yes. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could be interpreted multiple ways you know about what's what's going on here but like i said i mean we we're only in day two of the investigation so we don't have that much to really go by so so far yeah so this episode 
it, it's it's great at kind of introducing characters to one another. Agent Cooper is the the proxy for the audience to kind of get into this community because if you know anything about a small town, I mean, there's so much, there's so many odd characters and there's so many little backstories. So we have a great proxy with agent Cooper going, going through and he's kind of being led around by the sheriff and, you know, introducing, um, you know, it's a great way of naturally introducing characters to one another. Again, it's kind of interesting to me because I can't think of anything else other than twin peaks, I'm trying to think if there's another example of a David Lynch script. Well, it's co-written with Mark Frost, but a David Lynch script that was uh, adapted by anybody else other than him. So it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to see some of these weird idiosyncrasies that, that creep through these characters. But I think having worked with Lynch, um, Dunham does a great job, like, Flawless, and I don't want to say mimicking, but just kind of carrying through what the look of Twin Peaks is like. Yeah, I noticed that too, especially with um, um, you know the the, the domestic um, abusive relationship that we see with um, I think it's Shelley. Yes, Shelley and Leah. Yeah, the, with yeah. The, kind of the outside encompassing the inside, where we have like the construction work going on inside our house, whereas. Like it looks like the inside and the outside are flipped, kind of like the Black Lodge. It kind of it carries on that and um, that visual theme. Right. Um, uh, it, it's it, he he doesn't do anything too erratic with camera work. It's it's very static. And for those of you, to, it's is kind of just there's very with a static camera shot. Uh, think of it as the opposite of any of these handheld movies where the action is going all over the place and you 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 almost get motion sickness with these these frantic camera shots these are very static camera shots with very minimal movement and that allows us to really soak in the atmosphere and soak in these characters and you're not you're not focusing too much on the camera going all over the place you're really able to sit there with these characters and listen to what they have to say to one another. You know, I, I think that 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 that's perfectly exemplified in this particular episode. Now, I, oddly enough, or coincidentally enough, there are two soap-related incidents in this this episode. One of which is quite apparent when um, the horrific um, physical abuse of Leo against. Um, Oh gosh, what was her name? You just said I know the actress's name. Uh, Shelley. Yeah. Shelley. Yes. Uh, he puts a, a bar of soap in a sock, and we don't actually see the beating, but we see him swinging this this uh, sock with a bar of soap, and uh, we fade to black, and then we just hear a noise of obviously that. And I the the what I've heard about why people will. And, and again, this is kind of disturbing, but what I've heard is the reasons that um, people will put like a bar of soap into a sock or a pillowcase and then hit someone with it is that it won't actually, it won't actually like leave a bruise or an outside mark on the body or the skin. But what it will do is cause 
a great deal of internal um internal abuse inter internal abuse and um you know and and pain which is i i guess one of the things and yeah i think that's very appropriate for this show because it's all about like surface versus what's going on underneath right because you know if she shows up at work the next day covered in bruises and i mean um that's just not gonna fly you know because she's in such a public forum <laughs> that's you know someone's gonna raise a red flag about that so you know we we have this this um instance and then in my research might the other soap related incident is there is a scene with Agent Cooper and the sheriff going to meet with um, Mrs. Packard. And they, they're talking to her and Agent Cooper is immediately able to, um, to gather that uh, the sheriff and Mrs. Packard have been seeing each other. And she, gets, she excuses herself to answer the phone. And then... Uh, the uh, the manager of the mill walks in and says, "Don't drink that coffee. There's a fish in the percolator." And they, uh, you know, they don't do a spit take, but they kind of, they, you know, reluctantly put down their cups of coffee. And then there's references to it later. They can't get the taste of uh, fish flavored coffee out of their mouths. But that little line of dialogue actually came from a true story. I involving Lynch um, finding out that there was a bar of soap involved in the making of a, a pot of coffee or a cup of coffee and uh, I guess that really stuck with him so that's that's where that weird um, little line of dialogue comes from which just goes to show that sometimes these things that are just in a in a Lynchian project just seem so absurd and out of the blue I just think that he, he gathers them from real life. They all come from a, a point of not normality, but just to, from, from real life. They, they, you know, all these little things that he picks up on, um, he, he just kind of puts them away collectively in his brain and then they manifest themselves um, in his story. So I just thought that was a little... And as weird as that is, it's almost like tr more true to life because a lot of... I don't know, straight up TV dramas will leave these kind of life's oddities out. But life is full of these weird happenings. And I think including them in something like Twin Peaks, that's what gives the level of realism. There's almost realism in that absurdity. Absolutely. And I think that kind of, and, and that kind of harkens back to that, the, the, um, you just made an excellent point because that harkens back to w when I read the the little log lady intro is that there's yeah. re reasons can even explain the absurd. So we don't actually find out how this fish ended up in the percolator, but we know where this the, the genesis for this weird idea came from. So there are always reasons in the absurd. And, you know, that's just kind of what the brilliance of... Um, of Twin Peaks is, and then what were some but of the... But there's the boundaries a little bit, though, doesn't it? Because, um, but the the boundary between reality and fictional in this series is gets increasingly porous as it goes on, but using a plot that where part of it is rooted in reality and we don't get to hear about it, like, brings it a little bit more into our world. It's, it's vaguely referenced and you go outside of the show to read and research about it. It brings the two worlds together in kind of a weird, uncanny way. 
Absolutely. Right. And that's kind of that's that's kind of the joy of this show is because it it does start out pretty we we're starting out pretty grounded with what seems to be just uh, a a murder and then, you know, it quickly it quickly amps up into something and um I know that the the murder of Laura Palmer was kind of used as a a MacGuffin and uh, for those yeah. of you who know, uh, know what a MacGuffin is, it's kind of just it's it may or may not play out as much in the the course of a movie or a series but what a macguffin does is it's kind of the um the striking of the match that 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 sets off this whole series of events and then we are um left to 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 work with and and live with these characters especially something with twin peaks this an ongoing series you feel like an outsider watching this very bizarre um, town um, and the way that it operates and all the little different pieces that um, are part of the puzzle. The weird thing about that is that um, in the previous episode, we saw Cooper reacting, you know, with awe over something very normal like trees. And then when he encounters the log lady in this episode, he doesn't react with any kind of shock. It's a completely absurd situation something to see and he doesn't react very strongly to it well i think he just takes it as normal <laughs> well i i think he's starting to to realize that things are not always what they seem in twin peaks and if i if i mm-hmm. if my memory is correct he was actually he never had interacted with her but i believe that she was at the town meeting in the pilot episode so um mm-hmm. yeah because yeah his his reaction to her is I, I think that, and that just shows what what kind of a character he is, is because typically we would expect an you know an FBI agent to be like, oh my god, it's a lady with a log. This is going to be really weird. And well, what I, she says to him, I mean, the, the log knows, and like, he doesn't <laughs> say, what does that mean? Right, because I think, I, well, because yeah, because I think that he's just kind of getting, he's kind of, he's trying to find. It's interesting. I'm going to use a, a, he's trying to find his feet here in Twin Peaks. And we're introduced to him in this episode, and his feet are up in the air, and so I mm-hmm, think yeah, that, that's a good point. I think we're slow. He's slowly starting to get his feet under him, and he kind of realizes that uh, a certain type of interrogation—good cop, bad cop—that's not going to work with someone like the log lady, um, because she says like, "When my when my log is ready, um, it will reveal all," or something like that. My log saw something. And instead of pushing the, the pushing the issue, I think that he's starting to realize that pushing this issue is just not going to get him anywhere. So that he's just like, okay, um, it's we've just got to uh, push forward and kind of just see where this investigation takes us. Um, another thing that this episode does very well is introducing um, Audrey Horn to Agent Cooper and what will become her... Um, well, they don't become love interests. He he, very clearly states boundaries, but there, it's it's the school. Pardon the expression. The schoolgirl crush on the on the dapper man in uniform kind of thing. And um, yeah, they were going to make it a thing, but um, I think Kyle MacLachlan didn't want to do that. He, he didn't think it would be like the character is meant to be very moral, and he thought that would go against that image. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because. 
I, I agree. I don't think it would have worked for this series. It just, it would have seemed out of place. And we will see. He would have been one of the shady guys in the series because we have enough of those characters. We needed a counterpoint to that. Right, because we have, the, I mean, this this series is littered with uh, older men preying on younger women. And to put Agent Cooper into that into that scenario, I, I just think that would have just completely unraveled it. And yeah. um, so what were some of the standout moments for you in this particular episode? Well, it was definitely the Bob was, is the one that I can't get out of my head. That he's, he's a yeah. like, supernatural figure in a, a very ordinary room. Um, there, there's some things that are striking me as kind of red herrings as well. You think Josie's going to be this huge character, but she, she doesn't appear much in later episodes from what I can remember. And I remember her death was quite inexplicable and it wasn't really brought up again unless the actress had other things to do and wasn't able to go and do more episodes of Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, we're going to get into that because I do. I, there are some interesting um, character moments with her later in the series. But yeah, I I think it's I think it's wise though that you kind of I think that a good fiction writer would tell you that um, a really I mean not, not just one red herring but a, a couple red herrings to kind of um, yeah there's more to kind of uh, to to put up there will just leave the audience wanting more and I think that's just a sign of good writing because you kind of want to see where is this all going to lead because. Not only is there a murder investigation, but we've got the owner of the Great Northern um, having an affair with um, the, one of the uh, not the o- the owner, but one someone else associated with with the uh, the the mill, and they're they're plotting. Oh, that was such a villainous scene. Oh, it is. You really, they are cartoon villains in that. Yeah, and and, and again, that's uh, there are a couple scenes that that scene in particular. Um, very much to me felt very soap opera esque. Like the two, yeah, these two figures that we thought were part of two different industries are actually in collusion with each other, plotting something devious behind our back. Uh, the other soap opera esque scene to me was, um, um, was it the Donna scenes? Because I thought they were very soap opera. They are. I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I really like. Laura Flynn Boyle as an actress and at some point um, we're going to have to have the discussion over who portrayed the better Donna. I think we kind of touched on that with their fight. Uh, I think this Donna is the better one, but um, yeah. I, it, she seems like a more fleshed out character here, but and I, I, I don't think it's the fault of the actress. I don't think it's her fault, but I think that she's written into some very soap opera-ish things where she's talking to her mom I did like her interaction with Mrs. Palmer. I thought that was really good. But what really got to me was her and um, James at the dinner table. Yeah. Goog- like googly eyes. <laughs> over, like, over... like we get it. There's more important stuff going on. I mean, you guys are, are fine. But I think her detective arc is more is more interesting than that. Because she does play another detective in the series. It's not just Cooper that's playing detective and in a sense, uh, Laura is, solves her own murders. Right. And, and and that's all good stuff that we have going 
forward here. So, I mean, as far as an episode, this was, um, I liked it because it did what it needed to do as far as kind of fleshing out some of these characters. Even, I, I just, and it, there's some of the humor here. I think that this this episode was a little bit more humorous to me than the, than the pilot episode. I mean, when Agent Cooper walks into the sheriff's office, uh, we have Andy with a mouthful of donut, uh, Lucy with a mouthful of donut, trying to uh, <laughs> trying to describe where the sheriff is, and then we see the sheriff munching on a donut. And I just love he walks into the uh, the conference room and goes three for three, and then just lays out his entire plan for the day. and And then the scene ends with the sheriff just finished chewing and swallowing his piece of donut. There's just it's almost. It's almost slapstick comedy. It's very physical humor, you know, uh, one person talking to a bunch of people with food in their mouths. But it works for this series. And uh, like I said, we're given, um, you know, plot wise, not a lot much is 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 being moved forward. But like you said, the 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 shot of Bob is is truly horrific. And then I, I know that the, um, the spousal abuse between Leo and Shelley was, um, was probably something that people, uh, during this time period were not used to seeing, especially on network TV. That's brutal. Yeah. Right? It is very like in the midst of all the absurdity and the potential of supernatural stuff to come, that that was very grounded something that could happen anytime in reality and it's t- it kind of shocks us into like from one genre into another and almost goes into like documentary style in that scene right and like we had the slapstick with lucy and andy i mean they're they're very similar characters to um two characters in another series moonlighting if you've seen that and yes. agnes and herbert they're, they're very <laughs> similar to them so right. it's like hopping from one very lighthearted genre into another and- more realist grounded and I think that just goes to show the strength of of the writing and as yeah, because it's not jarring; it's jarring in a good way that, that it shocks you into into something completely different. But it's it's not that they're out of place in any way. That Lynch manages to, or the director of this episode manages to balance all of these genres while telling a coherent story. Right. Um, and I was just gonna like little like there's just like little slices of humor mixed in with something very ominous like when leo is looking for i mean shelly discovers that he has um a shirt covered in blood and he's looking for his shirt and he opens up the washing machines like pulling clothes out looking for his shirt and like the music is very ominous and we know that it's a shirt covered in blood so we know that something devious is going on and then the scene ends with him like kicking the washing machine, the lid falls over, and then the washing machine starts going again. It's almost like these, um, it's like a, it's just like a, a breath. So you can kind of digest the, the, um, the, 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 uh, the evil. And it, it just gives you like a little moment of levity, just that saying it's okay to laugh at certain things. Yeah, because that's quite true to life as well, Like even in the midst of something like a war. I mean, there would be humorous things that happen within like families and friend circles. I mean, that, that doesn't really stop. We see a lot of like hyper-serious shows, post-apocalyptic 
zombie shows like The Walking Dead. I mean, I like The Walking Dead. It's good. But it's it's all like very straight and very serious. There's no levity. And that removes it from reality a little bit. And I think the humor in Twin Peaks, yeah, gives us a breath. But also that is true to life as well. Kind of like how it mixes the absurd and the serious. It's like the humorous and the serious coexist in life. They coexist in this show as well. You, you know, that's exactly right. I never thought about that. But yeah, I... I... I've only seen like I think the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead, but one of the things that um, it's kind of what I thought it was kind of missing is that despite having like a ragtag group of people trying to su- survive a zombie apocalypse, it, it seems that all all none of these people ever had a sense of humor. <laughs> like, they, yeah, like they're, they're all badass. They're all very serious. They're all focused on the mission, but um. I think in reality it would go down a little bit different. I mean, not everybody is extremely cool all the time. No, and, and and everyone deals with you know everyone deals with these situations in different in different ways, and I that's kind of what I like about Twin Peaks is that when it's serious, it's serious. When it's cheesy, it's cheesy, and when it's supposed to be funny, um, it 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 allows you that levity so you can digest all the darkness that's going around with it i mean there's another there's another scene i mean it's not nowhere near as jarring as shelly being beaten by leo but there's a scene where bobby's at the um the dinner table with his his parents and his dad's making this very serious speech and he just pulls out his cigarette and his father just slaps him across the face and the cigarette comedically just flies into his mom's like lands in like a piece of cake or whatever that his mom's eating so it's it's kind of like 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 you said though in the midst of whatever harrowing events might be surrounding us any sort of negativity any sort of um just terrible uh things might be happening there there, i mean sometimes you just need to smile or you just need to laugh and this show allows us um, it's giving you permission. It's saying it's okay. Like we just saw something horrific, but again, these are just you know images on your TV, and you're allowed to process it in a, in a certain way. And you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting for me and for you. I think going forward to see what when Lynch and Frost aren't helming all these episodes either by writing them or directing them you know what sort of changes that we can see in in a way that a character would act or behave yeah. um that's gonna to me that's gonna be uh pretty interesting um i think they got a little stronger you know you, we know um the certain lady i mean we we know they go all out Whereas she's just kind of a, a little bit of quirkiness in, in the beginning, right? And um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna first I'm gonna mention this, and then I'll ask you. Uh, I'll give you some time to think. Some uh, I mentioned a couple of things, but something else that I I, I maybe failed to notice um, until this fun, until this rewatch was the mention that uh, B- Big Ed referencing the fact that he thought his beer was drugged at the roadhouse uh for whatever oh. reason um and he mentioned he says that to the sheriff he says you know Jacques was manning the bar but he said that you know he's like you know 
he was down on the floor before he even realized what had happened. So that was that was something to me that I was like, oh, okay, we're, 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 we are starting to put the pieces here together. But um, it's a it's a large jigsaw puzzle, and it's going to take some time. But the pieces, and I, I think similar to a puzzle. Sometimes when people are putting together a puzzle, they'll look for all the straight edge pieces to make a border. Um, or you look for certain colors that match with other things and you're trying to put together this picture in your head. The thing that I like about Twin Peaks is that um, some episodes are working on the border with all the straight edges and other other uh, scenes are just working on these uh, abstract little little things that are going to help flesh out the entire picture. Were there any things that you noticed in this particular episode that you hadn't re- uh, maybe noticed upon uh, your first viewing? Um, I, I imagine that a lot of people at the time suspected that Leo was the killer, having seen this episode. Right. It, it, it's not a character I paid huge attention to when I was binging it, but um, I imagine at the time that a lot of people like had eyes on him. Like, yeah, he, he's the he's the one that was done this. He's violent. It's really obvious who it is. It, it, and another thing that I noticed is just kind of there's no scenes of dialogue, but we do see um, Leo right before the um, the. He assaults Shelley, uh, is cutting open a football and it'll get fleshed out in, in Fire Walk With Me and it'll get fleshed out further in the series that uh, a football was a way that they were um, exchanging uh, cocaine and money with all the different kind of um, people involved in this nefarious activity. So there, there, it to me, this is one of those shows that is easily rewatchable. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of detail that you would have, that it's different with context when you see it again. Right. Um, so I- I'm looking forward to, do you have any um, final thoughts about uh, episode one? I, I had uh, I had to correct our title card. I had put um, initially that this was, uh, th- our previous episode was, um, was episode one, but uh, my mistake that was just the pilot episode. This is actually, and they don't call it zero or anything. Or no, they this is canonically uh, episode one that we're talking about now. So we got a unfortunately, we're already uh, an eighth of the way through season one, and uh, oh. it should be interesting where these uh, where these events and characters take us but um any final thoughts for uh twin peaks season one episode one uh dr jacoby's glasses oh like, is he seeing and like he's seeing in a weird alternate version of 3d because we all know those red and blue glasses don't really work no when we go to see a 3d movie so is it there's a suggestion there that he, he's not quite seeing things right <laughs> um yeah, we're gonna have to talk about Doctor Jacoby. I mean, th- there's so many characters to talk about. We got, um, we briefly had a glimpse of the one-armed man. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking, did we see the one-armed man here? We don't see him for very long, but he comes out of the elevator, and mm-hmm. we know his origins and where he comes from. And it takes on a, a lot of new meaning. He's he's entered the, the real world in this episode. And and, and for me, be, be previous to uh, seeing Twin Peaks or even being familiar with Twin Peaks, I always. Um, 
when I when I see a one armed man, I always think of The Fugitive, which was a, a, a TV series yeah, yeah. long before my time. But I had seen that the Harrison Ford movie. Um, yeah, so did I. And you know, he's it wasn't me; it was a one armed man. So anytime that like I see yeah, that, and like it a, sounds insane, but it, yeah, it does. And I I I I. I wonder if that was, uh, I'm guessing that was kind of strategic on their point that you're not. I think it is. It's like the dog ate my homework excuse. It's, you know, if you're going to blame the one-armed, people are going to raise eyebrows at that. (laughs) Yeah, if you're going to blame the one-armed man, at least actually have a one-armed man in there. So that's, uh, yeah. there's just so many great little, um, little things that we're going to notice but yes the, this um we mentioned the opening we we opened with doc uh with agent cooper hanging upside down and this uh this episode ends with dr jacoby listening to a tape that laura palmer had recorded and um sh- that this recording is from february 23rd and uh it's really oh. disturbing recording it's very disturbing. It's even more disturbing for me because my birthday is February 23rd. And so okay. <laughs> all these weird occurrences that happen. Uh, February 23rd is a very prominent date in the history of Twin Peaks. So um, little little Chris at some point when this was being, I, I was turning nine when this episode uh, came out. Uh, was probably, you know, had some, you know, a nice party with friends and family and, um disturbing things were happening across the country in twin peaks so uh yeah, it's yeah a... you weren't you weren't doing this <laughs> no no but um yeah the, the, it it ends with um with uh dr jacoby and um he's sitting there we don't get to hear everything that laura palmer says because he's um very it's a it's a nice little little bit of um filmmaking here that we you know initially he's listening on speakers throughout his apartment and then he plugs it in and listens to headphones and then so we don't get the full story but dr jacoby knows that we can only go by facial expressions so i'm very much looking forward to tackling episode two uh dr travers final thoughts what well, once again final thoughts for episode one anything that um really stuck out to you in our in our conversation Mainly that it's just—it's still really good. It's—it's it's like matching the pilot in terms of quality. Yeah, and um, so this I think this season because it's only like twelve episodes. Eight. It's kind of before its time. Oh, is it eight? only eight episodes? Okay, so like it, it's even more modern in terms of structure because we've got the shorter shows now with the longer episodes on platforms like Netflix. Mm-hmm. I mean, you the the conventional episode structure for that period was like twenty-two episodes per season. Right, and uh, that's what we're that's what we're in for with uh, season two. I, it's twenty something yeah. episodes. I think, and it didn't work. I think this 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 um, framework suits it so much better. Right, and we're going to talk about that. Um, I, I I think it's just going to be a matter of uh, delusion, not delusional, but diluting of um you yeah. you get um. Obviously, uh, we're go- we're going to get into it because um, throughout the course of, especially season two, th- there was less and less Mark Frost, less and less David Lynch um, involvement. But I I think for episode one, uh, smart move by putting someone that was so familiar with Lynch, having edited Blue Velvet. Yeah, that that's a it was a safe but um, very wise decision. 
like he, he knew he knew he could do it and he knew he fit with his own scenes right and you know having sat probably sat for hours and upon hours with lynch in an editing bay getting cutting blue velvet into the the perfection that i think it is um he probably that that influence that influence could not have um could not have worked out better he also edited one of the i mean that that that's this guy knows what he's doing. He would later go on to direct um, a bunch of movies. The only one that sticks out in my mind is Homeward Bound about uh, lost oh, pets. I remember that. Yeah. Lost pets going back. Um, but he. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the one movie about a dog that's not like horrifying. Right. It's definitely not Cujo. It's a. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice yeah. dog. It's a nice dog. But so yeah. Um, Mr. Dunham did a fantastic job here because I. I it. And we're gonna. I, I think we're gonna see it with with um with future episodes you can clearly see that um this is somebody trying to put their own stamp on the series this this is a very respect respectful um continuation of what we got from the pilot so i urge you all to uh follow us on this journey through twin peaks this has been season 1 episode 1 from the Cult Film Companion Podcast, my name is Chris, and my esteemed co-host, Dr. Sean Travers, please follow her on Twitter, please check out her book, and please follow us both on Instagram and Twitter, as uh, the Twitter, if you're fleeing Twitter, uh, both of us have Instagrams, and um, we'll see how everything pans out, I can only... I only wish that David Lynch had purchased Twitter instead of Elon Musk. Oh, but, yeah. But, uh, I, I, I hope him goes. I mean, he just gets bored. That, that's, a, that's a conversation for another time, but I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Thank you all for tuning in. We will be back next week with episode two.